from digitiki.com. How do you like those hot licks, Dad? Or don't you dig be bop be bop? I love those damn albums. I was hoping someday you might love them too. Instead of your hippie jungle crap. Those Beatles were awful, right? <laughs> Another visit here at the Quiet Village. I'm your host, Digitiki, coming to you as always, direct from digitiki.com in the heart of the Quiet Village. Got my Mai Tai. And actually, we should probably be having rye, I guess, because we're going to the swinging side of the island this time. I have a very special guest and uh, also, I guess, father-in-law, I could say. Bob Martinez is here with me. He's going to talk about swinging jazz, some classic jazz. And I'm sure a lot of you mix jazz in with um, the Quiet Village, with, um, with Exotica and whatnot when you play it in your tiki bar. It mixes in really good. We're going to be talking about real classic jazz, some big names that you may know. So, aloha. Welcome. Aloha. And uh, how did you get into jazz? Now, first of all, I want to let everybody know we we talk about jazz all the time because I'm I'm a bit of a jazz nut myself. But you not only are a jazz nut, you've seen some of these big names, some of the classic names actually I, performing, right? I from the time that I was old enough to to go to some of these places, which meant like when I was. Probably 21, but I snuck in some places before that. Uh, I went and listened to just about everyone I could listen to, and uh, but before that, all my exposure was via records. And in the early 40s, they were the old 78s, you know, those things that broke if you dropped them, and you had that big needle that would scratch the record. But the uh, my aunt, who used to live with us, was a big uh, fan of Stan Kenton and all that. When she'd go to work, I'd go in there into her room and I'd sneak into her uh, her little phonograph that she had and I'd break out this one record by Stan Kenton in a NATO a day called And Her Tears Flowed Like Wine. And that was my first exposure to that. I was just astounded at the music and the fact that anyone could arrange music like this, the in- instruments could play it, and that was in the that was from the forties, right? Early forties, yeah. I love swing and and forties music. Of course, you you know, actually, here's another little insight. Every Saturday and Sunday morning, while we're making breakfast, I put on um, swing. We have a radio station that we can pick up here at the Quiet Village, Chuck Cecil. Chuck Cecil doing the swinging years for four hours every Saturday and Sunday morning. I love listening to that. Uh, let's listen to that track. It's In Her Tears Flowed Like Wine. It's Stan Kenton and Anita O'Day. 
This is the one that got you started on it. Here we go. He would spend it on the ponies. He would spend it on the girls. Buy his mother gin and roses for her old headed curls. But when his wife said, hey now, what did you get for me? When I was just a kid, let's see, I had to be six or seven years old. It blew my mind that anyone could arrange music to be played by instruments just like that. It just blew my mind, and it got me so interested, I uh, I knew I was going to play an instrument one day, and I did later on. And I took up the trumpet because Stan Kenton's band needed trumpet players, and uh, that was my goal. To play for Stan Kenton. <laughs> but now, he had some really good trumpet players. He did some good stuff. Anita O'Day, now she went on to be a real, real, I mean, not just swing era. She went on to be a real jazz era she vocalist. Became, she was a jazz singer. And 
Uh, it wasn't long after this. She, she wanted, she felt kind of stifled playing with Stan Kenton. And she wanted out. But <clears throat> Stan Kenton told her he would let her out if uh, she could find her replacement. Well, it just so happened that in town there, I forgot what town, it might have been Detroit or Chicago, there was a young lady that was singing at some club there with another smaller band. Her name was Shirley Luster. And she talked her into coming over, trying out with Stan Kenton, and Stan Kenton liked her and hired her. She became known as June Christie. Ask a Mexican band to play a rumba down there. He turns and says to the boys, hey fellas, dig that square. I so she discovered June Christie also. Um, Anita O'Day really, she exploded when she did that performance at the, was it the Monterey Jazz Festival? Wasn't that her big explosion you mean the, onto the jazz scene? I'm not sure if that was the explosion onto the jazz scene, but she had sort of a uh, a rebirth at the Newport Jazz Festival. Newport, that was it, Newport. When she did her, uh, her famous Sweet Georgia Brown. That was it. Do you have that? Uh, I do have that. Okay, let's let's listen to Anita O'Day singing Sweet Georgia Brown. No gal made has got a shade on Sweet Georgia Brown. Two left feet, but uh-oh, so neat. Sweet Georgia round They all sighed Wanna die for Sweet Georgia Brown I'll tell you why You know I don't like Much It's been said she knocks him dead when she lands in town Since she came, why it's a shame how she cools him down Fellas, she can't get a fella she ain't met Georgia claimed her, Georgia named her sweet Georgia Brown. Now Gal Maid has got a shade on sweet Georgia Brown. Two left feet, but oh, so neat has around They all sigh and want die for sweet Georgia Brown I'll tell you just why You know I don't lie Not much It's been said she knocks him dead when she lands in town. 
since she came Why, it's a shame how she cools them down Fellas, she can't get off Fellas, she ain't met Jawa claimed her Georgia named her Sweet Georgia Brown No gal made a scholarship on Sweet Georgia Brown Two left feet with us some need as Sweet Georgia Brown They all sign one die for Sweet Georgia Brown I'll tell you just why Though I don't lie much It's been said she knocks them dead when she lands in town Since she came, why, it's a shame how she coos them down Fellas, she can't get her fellas that she ain't met She was feeling pretty good when she did that, too. <laughs> <laughs> yes, as a lot of the jazz cats were back then. Yeah. Uh, if you guys are not familiar with Anita O'Day, definitely pick some stuff. Actually, you, any album you pick up by her is going to be really, really good. Um, you had a brother, actually, who introduced you to all the jazz, right? Oh, he was the biggest influence. He was three years older than me, and... It was through him that I got interested in jazz, <clears throat> and uh, back when I was really young, he would listen to what was then called rhythm and blues, and in that genre, I guess, there was Billy Eckstein and, and Sarah Vaughan and singers like that, which later on when, when the white uh, people took over the the music, so to speak, <laughs> uh, and call it rock and roll. Sarah Vaughan and Billy Eckstein and, and, and those singers broke off into, I guess they call it blues, and that became part of jazz. And uh, my brother Rudy liked uh, Billy Eckstein. He could sing just like him. His voice. Really? He, he could imitate him like, like you wouldn't believe. to be think of honey just as I think of you anyway he uh, he would listen to these radio stations and so I got to listening to them there was a uh, radio station in where we lived called the jazz knob they used to it was KNOB in Long Beach and they used to uh, broadcast out of a club called the Strollers in Long Beach. And the MC was a guy named Sleepy Stein, who was said at one time to have more records than Wallach's Music City. <laughs> and uh, 
he, anyway, he'd broadcast from there. And so every night I would, while I was in bed, I would listen to that program. And I was, back then, being introduced to what they call the cool school, the West Coast jazz. Jerry Mulligan and Chet Baker, Chico Hamilton, all of those guys. I listened to all of those guys. So by the time I got to high school, I was pretty much into it. But there was a lot of more musicians that had come into it by that time. Uh, one of the earlier ones that I heard, uh, since I was into bands, Stan Kenton's band. He had a great, great band. Stan Kenton did some good Latin oh, band records, too. If you listen to his peanut vendor, he has quite a few. Yeah. Uh, but his some of his tunes, like... Intermission riff was just an absolute blast. There's one called Concerto to End All Concertos. <laughs> and that was with um, the trumpet section you wouldn't believe. The trumpet section, I think, included Maynard Ferguson. Oh. Which then kind of made me decide that maybe I won't go in his band. Because <laughs> <laughs> that guy could hit, insta- hit the notes way up there. But his tunes on this one Kitten and Hi-Fi LP... Those are great, great tunes, and I uh, I would listen to those for hours. Well, let's let's play one. Here we go. Thank you. 
that song just blows my mind. That's a classic. That, uh, it's, it, uh, he, he had a, a, a large interest in Latin rhythms, and he used them all the time. I think that was because he, he was, he became familiar with Machita, who was a Cuban drummer. He was one of the first to come out here. He was before, I guess, Mongo Santa Maria and Willie Bobo and all those guys. But Machito, I guess, was introduced initially by Dizzy Gillespie. And I think the poor Kenton first heard him. Dizzy Gillespie uh, used to go to Cuba quite a bit. And he, he got interested in the music there, too. As I understand it, there's there's basically two schools of jazz, or at least there were in the, in the 50s and 60s. There was the East Coast and the West Coast Cool, right? I think the introduction of movies and TV, and primarily in the West Coast, a lot of the musicians who had settled out here in the West Coast were with a lot of these bands, Stan Kenton, Woody Herman, uh, Benny Goodman, and all of those. And, and they started to so they started playing in the movies, uh, for the recording for the movies and the TV studios, radio programs. A lot of a lot of smaller clubs opened up out here. One of the first was the um, the Lighthouse down here in Mosa Beach. There was a small club across from the Coconut Grove called the Hague, which uh, introduced a, a, a small pianoless quartet. The first one. Uh, it was Jerry Mulligan, Chet Baker. Central Avenue, South Central had a lot of good musicians. Wardell Gray, Dexter Gordon. Uh, they all, there's a club called Billy Berg's out here where a lot of the musicians uh, played. And uh, Charlie Parker would come out and he would, uh, he'd be playing with these guys. And uh, so they were all exposed. Charlie Mingus started out here. <clears throat> he became a, pretty much an East Coast musician. And Chet Baker, who got to be, he moved into pop circles, right? He, he sold a lot of records. <laughs> yeah, he became real popular because, number one, he was kind of a pretty boy. And he had this, <laughs> this uh, he, he could sing. He had a nice voice. He played, he, he was actually picked up by uh, Charlie Bird. Uh, Charlie Parker, I should say, the bird. Uh, he played with Charlie Parker in his band for a short time, and uh, some some black musicians back east were, were, were asking about how come you got this white boy with you, you know? <laughs> he says, well, that white boy can play. solos you can sing his solos really easy which is which is amazing um well let, actually let's do let's do a california cool mini set here let's let's throw in some chet baker and, and a few others and do uh here's a mini set of some california cool jazz 
Coast was a, was a more, for lack of a better term, it was more black, more more uh, visceral type mm-hmm. of music yeah. than the West Coast. West Coast was uh, was kind of lyrical, more lyrical. Um, it's all the palm trees and the great weather out here, I think. <laughs> it, it, it must be. But uh, but jazz was jazz, you know. No matter what style it was, it was you took you took a tune and you improvised on it, on all the chord changes and everything, and you did it your way, you know. Yep. It sort of faded off into the uh, distance after a while. Uh, the advent of the, the harder, biting kind of East Coast jazz that would was being played by new guys like. John Coltrane and Art Blakey and the Jazz Messengers who, you know, and I dug all of that stuff. I bought that album, Blue Train, by uh, John Coltrane, and that blew my mind. Yeah. I said, wow. <laughs> Back in those days, there were a lot of little nondescript clubs that opened up almost anywhere. And there's an auditorium in Santa Monica that I used to go to all the time, listen to concerts called Santa Monica Civic Auditorium. One, one night, across the street, I had discovered this place. It was an upstairs little room that you could only access through some stairs on the outside. It was a really neat little place. It was like a small living room. I would go there frequently. Anyway, this one night I went there with uh, my brother who uh, came home. Uh, He used to be gone from time to time as a guest of the state. (laughs) And uh, he he came home and uh, I took him to this place because he liked jazz. Since he was my my biggest influence in jazz always. Because he he would listen to music while he was away a lot of times, and he would keep me apprised of who was good. So I took him in here this one night, and we're sitting there, and it's, we're sitting on a little couch with a little coffee table in front of us, some drinks, and over to our right there was a little small bandstand that's being set up for the musicians, and sitting across in a little little kind of chair was this kind of balding guy with a guitar, and he's kind of warming up. Anyway, my brother looks at him and says uh, to me, he says, I know that guy. He said, oh, you do? He said, yeah, he's pretty good. He said, he's... I said, I, I, I met him at the hospital. My brother also was also against the hospital from time to time. <laughs> and uh, he said, uh, his name's Joe Pass. So after a while, when he, when he got up and he sat at the... Uh, 
on the bandstand to, to play with the group. I found out how good he was. <laughs> he was dynamite. And uh, I guess the rest is history, you could say, because he went on to make quite a name for himself. Yeah, no kidding. Actually, let's hear a track from him. Do you have Do you have a particular one that you like? Around midnight. I, mean, that's a, I love that tune. That's a funk tune. Thank you. 
Nice. That's really, really nice. That's that's nice. Joe Pass doing Round Midnight. That is um, really, really good. Now, you, you used to hang out at a classic, classic place, Shelly Mann's Manhole. Oh, yeah. In uh, West Hollywood. There. I almost lived there. I was there two, three times a, a week sometimes. Uh, <clears throat> they knew me there uh, pretty well. I just walk in. I was a regular. I saw a lot of really good things there. Uh, a lot of good, great musicians. Uh, probably be easier to ask me who I haven't seen than who I've seen because I've seen just about everybody. <clears throat> There's a place called The Summit. Dante's was in North Hollywood. Purple Onion. Plus, on, on sort of the uh, Monday nights, a lot of the musicians that played in the in the bands that were on TV, you know, the, like The Tonight Show or Lawrence Welk, they would go to these places on Monday nights and they would sit in there and they'd jam. <laughs> they were really good. I <clears throat> hear about some of these places where they were playing. There was a place right up here on Sepulveda near Devonshire. I used to go to, um, I saw well, Buddy Childers, the trumpet player was there. Joe Pass played in that band. Some of the clubs were really, really neat. There was one up on um, Canoga Avenue, and I saw, and that was a really intimate setting there too, sort of like a small living room. <clears throat> and uh, I saw Joe Williams, Oscar Brown Jr., uh, a non-jazz group called Bud and Travis, uh, Cal Jader. Uh, Cal Jader's one of my favorites. Oh, he's always been one. Of, I've seen him everywhere. I've seen Jackie Kane and Roy Crawl, who I used to really, really like. Uh, they were a vocal duo. But I, I, I'd seen so many, you know, Besides going to concerts like at the Hollywood Bowl, which I used to go to anyway, but the best ones were at these little clubs where uh, you just kind of stumble on, on them, you know. And uh, I was surprised I even saw the Swingle Singers at Shelley's Manhole once. S- swingle Singers were a group. They took the classical tunes, and I guess they emulated the the sound and the parts of the instruments. And I remember uh, that one night I was there... Uh, Guy comes in, at Shelley's manhole. He he's led up to the front row. He sits down, and he just sits back and he just has this big smile on his face because he was really enjoying it. And I said, "That's George Shearing, you know. He was, he was just <laughs> sitting there, you know, listening." And anyway, those those are just kind of memorable nights that I that I uh, remember. How about your 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 Basie <clears throat> in Vegas? Oh yeah, the count. <laughs> Yeah, he was, he's a really neat guy. I was sitting there in Vegas at one of the clubs. I needed to take a break, so I sat, uh, my buddy and I sat down and we said, let's just uh, sit somewhere and relax and we can still gamble a little bit. So we sat down at the Kino area, placed our bets down, you know, and uh, waited for the numbers to come up. I went up to go to the restroom or either that or go to a drink, get a drink or something. I came back and there's this guy sitting there in my seat, and I recognized him. I said, I said hey, Count? He says, yeah. I said, oh, okay, you know. He says, is this your seat? I said, no, sit down. I said, I'll, I just sat next to him. I said, uh, are you playing in town? He said, yeah. I said, where? He said, right here. He said, I'm over here in this other lounge, you know. Yeah, come on over. I said, yeah, I'll be there, you know. And so... Uh, it was one of those revolving stages. Uh, anyway, I, I went into this place and I found a seat at the bar and 
and there was an MC up there. Anyway, he introduces the count, and the stage, the curtain opens up, and the stage revolves open, and, uh, and they really played great. And uh, then another act came on, a girl singer, then they had a break, and then uh, came around again, curtains opened up, and the uh, stage rotated again, and and the band comes out, and the count is playing, sitting and playing the piano, and he looks out at the bar, he sees me there, and he says, you're still here. I said, yep, still here. <laughs> you know. You know, it was the same stuff, but I did I didn't care. It was good stuff. Count Basie was that was one swinging band. Best band ever. Let's let's do a Count Basie track. What what's one of your favorites? I have, I, I love uh, for Lena and Lenny. Lena and Lenny were written for Lena Horn and her husband Lenny Hayton. I think it might have been written by Quincy Jones. Okay. Here's Count Basie Orchestra.
he he was a real nice guy, right? Well, as I I saw a documentary on him, and at the end of the program, you know, they gave his whole background. You know, the kid from Red Bank, of course, that's his theme song. And he was asked, as far as your legacy and everything is concerned, how would you like to be remembered? He just kind of looked at him and just said, just that I was a nice guy. Yeah. And you know what? How you know, The little bit that I had, the little time that I spent with him, I concur. He was really a nice guy. Yeah. You actually couldn't get into Shelley's manhole one time when Astro Gilberto was... Only, that... only time I couldn't get in. <laughs> you know? And you probably I'd could been have... I'd been there before many times. You probably could have pulled a string or two to get in there. The line was outside. I was driving up the street, and I looked. The line was all the way down the street and around the block. I said, are you kidding me? That was the first time they came to the U.S., right? Yeah. And I had been there and I'd seen Stan Getz before, even. You know? I remember, well, Stan Getz was... <laughs> I, I like Stan Getz, too. I remember one night, Stan Getz was, uh, was there and he was playing and he had taken his solo and uh, he just kind of sits back and one of the other musicians was taking his solo and there was somebody in the back talking a little loud I guess. Stan gets stands up and he looks out he puts his, <laughs> you know shades his eyes with his hand you know he looks out he gets down off the stage he walks back there and tells the guy to not talk while the musician is playing you know. <laughs> I said great. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, he, he wants people to listen. You know, and, and you know, if you go to a jazz club, that's what you do: is you listen. Well, and Shelley's manhole. It, you told me it was decorated like you were in a manhole, right? Well, yeah. If you were once you walked into it, uh, <laughs> if you didn't know it, you were now below the street. Okay. <laughs> if you look on the roof, at the ceiling, I should say. There was a manhole cover there, like in a ladder that you just came down, you know. That's funny. <laughs> and uh, the whole place was dark, and it was kind of a dive looking, you know. But the place was really neat. Uh, it was just, it was the ambiance and the atmosphere that was there, and uh, it was ideal for listening. Musicians would come in to listen. Uh, it's like you know, like a busman's holiday. You'd be there, and uh, other other musicians would come in. When Willie Bobo was there, one guy you could always know was going to be there was uh, Bill Cosby. <laughs> Bill Cosby was a big fan of uh, Willie Bobo, and, uh, and you could always uh, count on uh, Willie Bobo asking Bill Cosby to come up and start playing on the congas and he did my show's primarily exotica you know tiki music and that sort of thing but the interesting thing about that is if you 
if you listen to Martin Denny records or Arthur Lyman in particular, particularly those two, they took a lot of jazz standards and I guess what you'd call tiki-fied them. They, they weren't just taking Broadway tunes or, or popular songs per se, pop music. They were actually taking jazz standards, a like caravan, and, and working them into their repertoire too. So um, this stuff, I, I think it fits in great. Well, it does fit in. I mean, I listen to all those Martin Denny and... and um, you remember all the tiki restaurants in L.A. Absolutely, I remember them. Oh, heck, I remember... Uh, Way back when there was a a program on TV, uh, it was called Harry Owens and His Royal Hawaiians, with, with the uh, one of his uh, his stars was a, a female singer, sort of like Bloody Mary, who was known as I think she was known as Holly Loki. <laughs> and uh, but anyway, I, I was exposed to Hawaiian music then, and uh, they do like jazz. And then they they adapt it to their music, and so you know they you know with the vibraphone, which I I really grew to really enjoy the vibraphone because it was different than the piano, and it was surely different than the marimba, which was you know wooden, and uh, you had you had musicians like Terry Gibbs and Red Norvo, who I was exposed to early on, who are really good. Uh, especially Red Norvo. That guy was dynamite. And one of the guys I saw at that Civic Club in Santa Monica, actually, was a guy named Emo Richards, who was really good also. Uh, I remember because one night, I, he, he got there a little late and he needed a little help unloading his vibes. And I, I helped him unload his vibes, bring him <laughs> into the club, and we set him up, you know. But but he was cool, too. Uh, but anyway, the... Um, the, the Hawaiian music lended itself very well to uh, to jazz. Yeah, they borrowed a lot from it. Believe it or not, our Mai Tais are empty. Well, almost. <laughs> and I think <laughs> we're getting bleary-eyed because we've had a couple of Mai Tais, actually. Once again, my guest has been Bob Martinez, who is actually my father-in-law, who... Um, is a big jazz aficionado who has seen so many people and uh we've been sitting around talking and i just thought you know what gotta bring you on gotta have you tell some of these stories about uh, about the jazz uh jazz scene you got to see the big names that actually were out there at the time you got to actually sit in little clubs and see these cats which is very cool and um and uh, just want to remind you that you can go to The Quiet Village at any time by simply going to digitiki.com and clicking on the podcast button where you get a complete rundown of all the tracks on this and past episodes. And we just could not get to all the tracks that we wanted to do. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to do um, a bonus like I did for the Bond episode and uh, the Christmas. It's a special download that you can get that's just a full set of jazz tunes programmed by uh, Robert Martinez, some of his favorites. I hope you can enjoy those. I know I'm going to dig them. Some great stories. 
and we just could not get to all the tunes that we wanted to do. But we did want to leave you with one of our personal favorites. We thought this is the perf- perfect jazz track to end on. It is, of course, Miles Davis classic, So What? Until next time, everyone, aloha. Aloha. Aloha.